Um, I came in, I was 21 years old, and um, I had just uh, come off of a really bad run. And uh, I had been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit. Um, I'm the youngest of six children from an Irish Catholic family on Long Island. And, uh, and I, uh, I'm youngest by far. I'm like six, seven years removed from the fifth one of them. And, uh, and so I, my mother always said that it was a good party. <laughs> and uh, the night that I was conceived, it's funny. My my uh, my father passed away recently, and my mother's been passed for about seven years. And um, my father passed away recently, and we were a lot of us were together. And you know, when you come from a family of any family, I mean any family, but especially when you've got you know just multiplies when you've got six kids, it's like six different stories all the time. You know, everybody's got a different story. And my brothers and sisters were like, oh, yeah, you were the oops baby. I said, that's just, you know what, you can see it that way if you want. I prefer the good party story. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's so funny when you come to tell your story because over the years, my, you know, of course, the, some of the main overall facts in my story will never change, right? I'm the youngest of six kids, not going to change. Um, Irish Catholic, not going to change. Um, uh, you know, certain things, but like the way I perceive my story has changed over the years. It just does. And, um, and that's hopefully because I've been growing and evolving and I ha- and as a result of spiritual experience. Like the, the, you know, kudos to the young guy, I don't see him, where, that did the 10 minute speak, uh, talk, and you did a, you did a great job. And, uh, and you know, and it really is all about, like when the 12 step says, has a result of, um, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. That's what we're here to do. That's what I'm here to do. And now, I didn't know I was here to do that when I first got here, but that is what I'm here to do. That is what I was here to do. That is what I'm still here to do. And, um, again, uh, back to my dad passing away recently. My dad passed away with 42 years of continuous sobriety. And, um, and he had been in and out of AA a lot before that. And, um, and... When I was sitting there, this was a very profound moment for me recently. So I'm sitting there with my sister. My sister and I had gone to, my sister got there first, and I came, and we we knew he was going, right? So I had the privilege of being with him when he he left the earth and made that transition, and I was really grateful for that privilege, and my sister came. And that night we went to, my father was very devout Catholic. He had become that more and more as the years went on, and um, especially in the last several, since my mother had passed away. And so... We're sitting at like some parishioners, other fellow members of his church. They take, they have dinner for us that night. And they're telling a story about my dad and the man that they know him to be. And I'm like kicking my sister under the table going, what the hell are they talking about? You know what I mean? Because like my percept, again with the perception and the stories, right? My stories about my dad are very different than what these people think my dad is, right? And now my dad was a wonderful guy, but, but I have a different story. And so, um, I don't have that wonderful a story. And I have the history, right? So, so, but what I really, I went, I, that night I was meditating, or maybe it was the next morning. I got up and I was sat up in my bed and I was meditating. And I realized that, you know, I need to give my father the same permission to evolve as a human being as I would like you to give me. You know, as, as this program allows me to have. And my father evolved into the man that I heard them talking about. You know, yeah, he was a, you know, when we, when we were kids, like if I want to stay stuck on what he was like when I was 11, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm never going to let that man evolve, nor will I evolve. 
And, um, and so my dad had evolved into a really lovely spiritual man. I mean, he died on a Wednesday or maybe Tuesday morning. We had the funeral on a Thursday, something like that, Friday. Within a few days, 200 people were in the church. You know, that's the kind of man my dad was. So, um, you know, so anyway, I just say that to say, you know, we all evolve. And I had to give myself that same permission. Because, and sometimes I don't think I'm evolving fast enough. And sometimes I think it's too fast, you know. And there are times in my sobriety where, you know, I think, um, you know, that old saying, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I think, well, he must think I got some set of balls I'm not aware of, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, because uh, I'm not so sure about that. And, uh, and, and uh, sorry, that wasn't a curse, technically. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Anyway, but, you know, sometimes I think that way. I think, oh, man, this might be a little too much for me to handle in, in life. But, um, you know, so I come by my alcoholism really honestly. And for me, I define alcoholism as I cannot safely predict what will happen when I ingest alcohol. And it's a funny thing because... I tried all sorts of combinations. I tried, you know, the cocaine combination seemed to work the best. I got like, you know, I got, I could kind of predict more what would happen with cocaine. You know, it gave you a longer run, you know what I mean? The blackout didn't quite last, you know, it didn't come as quick. I was such a blackout drinker. I took my first, like, really wanted to drink, drink, you know, like consciously saying to a friend of mine and I, I grew up as a, um, as an actor, right? So uh, I started acting when I was four years old. My mother, somebody said to my mother, hey, she'd be great in uh, commercials. I know this agent in Manhattan. Uh, my mother took me into the city. I met this, it turned out to be a manager, not just an agent. Took me into this manager. Uh, two days later, I was on the back cover of, um, of TV Guide, which then was a big deal, right, to be on TV Guide. So I'm on the back cover of TV Guide two, two, two weeks later. And, um, and I'm like, hey, I mean, what did I know? I was four, you know. But my mother, my mother was like, my mother was like, hey, this is looking good. The check started rolling in, you know, and this was looking good for her. And, um, and she, uh, my mother really became, my mother and this woman were my managers. And, um, and I would, uh, and I started working. And it, that, like, kind of had a life of its own. That was my first career. It had a life of its own. I did a whole bunch of commercials as a kid. I, I did a Wonder Bread and Teary Deary and, I, you know, you name it. I, I did a whole bunch of commercials. I did, I think, a total of, like, 36 commercials in my career and uh, as a child and um, didn't see a dime of it. But that's okay. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Worked that out on my fourth step. <laughs> Uh, many, many years later, many years later in my like second or third, uh, four step, uh, my sponsor had a great idea. She said, let's, let's know what we're dealing with. Um, why don't you find out how much you actually made? And like, let's see how really how big this resentment is. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went and found the manager and I, I, actually it was her daughter at that time and I found out, I found out how big the resentment was. I'm not going to share it with you, so too bad. But, uh, but I found out, but I found out how big the resentment was and, and, but it was really very, actually very good exercise that she made me do that because, you know, there's so many things in life that, that again, back to the story stuff, these stories we tell ourselves, you know. I, I thought, I actually thought the number was, I don't know what I thought the number was, really. But, but at least I had a good idea of what the number was. And I went to, like, my oldest sister and I said things like, you know, can you help me? Help me with this because I really need to understand what happened here. And, um, and she gave me great information. And then finally I went to her my mother and uh and asked her for the real information and um and you know what because i was armed with more information she was able to be straight up with me 
And the straight up was, my dad was drinking a, a lot and drinking. And my dad made a great living. He was an executive in Manhattan and made a really good living. But um, but he drank it all. And my and my mother was trying to keep up with the Joneses, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so he kept drinking it and the money. And I I um. I paid for this house, the, the last house that we lived in. Along, I, I actually bought that house, apparently. Well, okay. Oh, and you know what? When she kind of leveled with me about that stuff, I was like, okay. Like, it went away. It went away because I investigated it. But if I had kept with just a story in my head about what they did to me, you know, I would have uh, – it was much worse. The stories in my head are always worse than the reality when I just – Eye to eye, take a look at it, you know? And uh, so anyway, so I did that. I had this whole career, drank, drank, uh, started drinking at 11. And um, my, and we also had this house, my brothers and sisters. We were definitely party animals. And uh, and my, my parents would go away for the weekend a lot when I was young. Again, like I had all these older brothers and sisters, so it was like I had all these old parents or whatever. And my parents would go away, and they put out uh, ne- my brothers and sisters would put out a neon Budweiser neon Budweiser sign out the third floor window, and the house would just like fill up. You know, there'd be the keg, and and it was so cool. And uh, and uh, I would just be like running around, you know, like getting everybody drinks, and uh, I started hustling really quick. You know, I'd be like, yeah. So we had like my brothers lived in the third floor. They had this great attic with the ne- uh, neon peace sign on the ceilings and all those, you know, velvet um, posters, you know, with the neon, all that shit, all that stuff. And, uh, and you know, they were smoking pot. Everybody, everybody, everybody I knew did. When I moved back there, I moved back there about six, eight years ago now to Rockville Center where I grew up. And um, I kid you not, like, I can't even tell you how many times I would run into somebody who would say, I oh that attic. <laughs> you know, like I smoked my first joint there, did my first hit of LSD, took my first drink. It was a lot of firsts happened up in that room. <laughs> but uh but I was uh I and it was it was fairly large. And so I um I but I was hustling right away. I'd be like I it, kids would say to me, my brothers and sisters' friends, my brothers mostly, their friends would say, Go get me, you know, fill up my thing at the keg downstairs and I'd be like, Yeah, for a buck. You know, like I was hustling right away. You know, like I, I love those parties. I would come out smelling, you know, with a whole bunch of money at the end of it. And um, and I, um, so that's like I grew up in that atmosphere. And it wasn't until years later that I found out my parents would go away for the weekend and I found out that they both had boyfriends. It's <laughs> like, really? Now that's interesting. And uh, I, I was, I, I didn't find that out till I was about, and my parents were married 62 years and were devoted to each other. But, uh, but there was a little period of time where they might not have been devoted to each other. I mean, they were having a rough time. You know, it was tough. Alcoholism is tough. You know, alcoholism eats you up. My mother was a raging, raging Al-Anon. God bless her soul. And, uh, and um, you know, she just, she, and, and, and she had a lot of alcoholics under her roof. My father, I, I mean, I was a budding alcoholic at that time. But my, you know, brothers, a couple of my brothers, um, I mean, if you ask me, about five of them have this disease. If you ask them, or if you look around, like only two of us are sober. Um, but, you know, she had a lot on her plate, this woman. She was pretty smart. Um, but we, So we had this relationship where we were really business partners, and um, and uh, and we worked a lot. And she, she kept me, she stayed out of my way when I was uh, working. 
she wasn't the she wasn't like a nasty uh, set mom or anything like stories like you hear. She was actually she would read a book. She was actually neglectful, really. <laughs> Later, I can remember I can remember doing a, doing like this one time doing a commercial, and I was like, oh, I was dying because it was before all these laws came into place, and um, and I was like hot under the lights, and I'm like, somebody get me out of here, you know? Like, and uh, and and she was like reading a book, you know? She had no idea what was going on, and. Um, I remember having to tell her, Mom, you got to, like, kind of watch out for me here. Um, but uh, but um, anyway, but those were good days, too. I mean, I don't mean that to be – I enjoyed what I was doing there. I really did. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed having a drink as quick as I could once I started getting older and going back and, and uh, you know, going back to school. And then I went to the School of Performing Arts and um, – and there, you know, we were all artists, so we were, you know, we would use all sorts of mind-enhancing chemicals because we wanted to really up the ante on our art. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of crap we told ourselves and each other. And uh, and so we did that. But I, I, I was always chasing the drink. I was always having the party. So I, I actually, you know, carried on with that tradition of the parties in my parents' house and, um and so did my parents, by the way. I mean, my parents loved to throw a party. They were really great. Uh, they were a lot of fun. My sister loves to say we were the fun and dysfunctional. And we are fun. You want to come to a Colleton party. It's always great, you know. And, uh, and, and still today, I'm a party animal. <laughs> As people here that are friends of mine that came tonight know, you know, I love to throw a party. It takes me two seconds. Oh, you need to have a party? Okay, fine. Boom. You know, and it's, it's not a problem for me. I like that kind of thing. And that's what I love about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is that, you know, we get to share that with each other. And, um, uh, you know, and, and because I really see this disease as a disease of disconnection. You know, like I came here very disconnected from the world, very broken. I could be in a room this size, and it could look like I was connecting with you, yet I would be the loneliest person in the room. That no longer happens to me anymore. I really am connecting with you today, but I'm no longer a lonely person. But I had that disease of isolation, that disease of disconnection, and... And um, and it really is the fellowship that's brought me out of that, you know, that, that helps me to connect first with you, which was hard for me. You know, I, I, when I got finally got here at 21 after, like, a, just ridiculous. I came, I came here at 18. One of my brothers got sober. He decided that um, he... He and I got into a fight. He and I hated this guy. He was, out of my three brothers, I, I disliked him the most because he had abused me um, uh, quite a bit. I didn't like him. And um, at 16, I finally was big enough to kick his ass and did so. And, uh, and that, was, that was it for him. And, um, and then, but now I'm 18. And I left the house at that time, too. I, I left the house around, eight, uh, around 16, because of, mostly because of him, because he was my mother's kind of golden boy, and, um, and I didn't like him at all. And, uh, and so I, I said, well, then I'm out. So I was out. And, um, and, but I managed to graduate high school at, like, 17, that school of performing arts. Then I, um, now it's like I'm about, I guess I'm 18, and I'm, I, I'm back at my parents' house for some reason. I'm hazy on the facts, but I just remember having this blowout fight with him. I think it got physical. And then I was sitting on the edge of the bed in my parents' room going, okay, you're right, I'm an alcoholic. And even though I hated him, I had just blown my cover to another alcoholic, you know. He was six months sober and gung-ho, you know, everybody's alcoholic that you know when you're six months sober, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, oh, dang, did I just say that, right? So that was November 4th, 1978, and I went to a meeting. This was, we were out in Long Island. 
I don't even know why we were out there at that point because my parents already had the uh, pl- we had a place in Manhattan at this point. And um, but anyway, I went to this meeting and um, and I don't remember much about it. I remember the feelings like you know, oh my God, the book's coming towards me. I really don't want to read this book, and uh, I can't read because I, I couldn't read because part of my success it turned out and we found out later. I had found out by this point of uh, being an actor was that um, I'm dyslexic, so my uh, the way I overcompensated for that was that I'm very auditory. So if you say something to me, um, you know, I would say to my mother, this was our routine, and I didn't even know we were what, what we were doing. You know, we weren't aware of this at the time, but I'd say, read me the script, she'd read it to me, and I'd have it like this. So I very rarely went up on lines, which is probably why I work so much, because it wasn't, didn't take too much for me to do a take. I would get it like this. So, um, so anyway, but the book's coming towards me, and I'm like, whoa! <laughs> you know, I don't wonder, I can't, I can't just read on the dime, you know. I can now, but then I couldn't, and uh, I was terrified. Finally, as it's like a couple of people towards me, away from me, the woman next to me says, you can pass. And I was like, Sister, you could have told me that when the book was over there. <laughs> you know, like, can't you see me shaking? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but I, you know, I, I, it's about all I remember that meeting. And then I remember the feelings of, you know, it was one of these things, like, in New York, they do a lot of this where um, you have, like, the main meeting. Like, in one, one church, you might have, like, the main meeting, then you'd have a beginner's meeting, and then you'd have an Al-Anon meeting, like, all these things, right? So I was in the beginner's meeting, and um, I knew my father and my brother were down in that big meeting, and that really annoyed me. <laughs> like, I did not want to be my, around my father and his cronies, you know what I mean? I didn't want to be known as... Mike's daughter and that kind of thing, you know. I thought, uh, and I really didn't like the brother, as we've already established. And um, so, anyway, so then I go into Manhattan, though, where we also lived in Manhattan. Uh, so, and then I found meetings in Manhattan that I liked, and I found more meetings. But I really didn't work the steps. I started a theater company at the time, and I didn't work the steps, and I, um, I, I didn't. I looked through them, you know. I looked through them, and uh, and I thought, you know, oh, step one, okay, I get that I'm I get that I'm powerless over alcohol. I get that I have this disease. I didn't really know that I was powerless over alcohol, but I knew that I had the disease, and um, and but I thought all this time I had thought because I know that I have the disease, I have one up on all you idiots that don't know you have the disease. So I'm going to be able to really drink longer, <laughs> you know. And uh, really, here I was, 18, thinking those kind of things. So now I'm so I'm. I'm I look at that step and I think, I don't get, my life's not unmanageable. I got, my life's fine. And, uh, and the second step, what, I'm not insane. I don't even know what you're talking about here. And I'm a very spiritual person. I'd already done like my first past life regression. I was already very well into the new age stuff. And I was already, you know, doing energy healings and all that stuff at 18. So I was like, all right, so, okay. So, um, but I'm not insane. And, um, and, and then the third step, turn my life and will over to care of God. Like, really? I don't, I'm not even sure what that means, so what's the next one? And, uh, and then get to the fourth, and uh, I didn't know what any of that meant either. What does moral inventory mean? I have no idea. Um, but, uh, okay, I guess I'm, I'm not really, I'm, I don't have resentments. I didn't really know what a resentment meant. And nobody, uh, and if they tried, I just didn't hear it. Nobody just was kind you know, new enough or whatever, I don't know. I never heard anybody say to me, just put down the people you're angry at, which is what I say to people who don't get what resentment means. <laughs> yeah, who are you angry at? Oh, that's a resentment? Yeah, that's a resentment. Um, and uh, I didn't, so I didn't really do the fourth step either. I thought, oh, yeah, really, I'm not really resentful at anybody, you know, and if I am, they deserve it. And, uh, and, um, 
And the five, you know, I'm really not going to tell anybody. I, I'm not really. I don't. I don't think so. Mm-mm, no, I don't really want to talk to anybody. Six, seven. Hmm, my shortcomings. Hmm, let's see. You know, those were things like you know, I could be skinnier. I could be <laughs> prettier. You know, those are what I thought my, my shortcomings were. Um, my, I, I didn't understand the seventh. Like, okay, what was that? Eight and nine. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Those promises look pretty good right after nine. Maybe I should. Oh, I'd like to see him again. Hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's put him down. Hmm. I could go say I'm sorry. Maybe I get a good dinner out of that. Maybe get laid. No, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, like so. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like uh, that's what I thought. You know, and maybe I'll have some of these promises. Hmm. I'll get more money. Is that what that means? By financial insecurity will leave me. I don't know. So you know. And then 10, 11, okay, so I can say I'm sorry. Now, I'm sorry was really, I, like, I, I had a very hard time saying I'm sorry for anything at that time. So um, I wasn't so sure about that one. And because uh, I knew amends may, may be made, may, you know, I'd have to say I was sorry or something or admit that I was wrong, which was very difficult for me. Um, 11, oh, yeah, I got the meditation thing. Remember, I'm spiritual. So, you know, I can do the meditation thing. I'll do the chanting. I'll do whatever. I like to go to those places. Those guys are cute. And, uh, and, um, and you know, that, that kind of thing. And then um, 12, now, I was what you call a classic two-stepper. This is why I don't hear this term all that much anymore, but I was a classic two-stepper. I could spot that you were alcoholic, and I wanted to 12-step you into AA. And, uh, and that, so I liked the 12-step part of the 12-step. I liked helping people like that because I thought it was a cool thing about me. <laughs> you know, because it was all about me, right? So I was, I was what they used. I don't hear this term as much anymore, but we used to call that a classic two-stepper. And so I liked to 12-step people a lot, but mostly in bars, you know, because, because I was, uh, I would still hang out in bars. And, um, because I was an actress, I was a waitress, right? And, uh, so I, I had this great day job in Manhattan. And, uh, good lunch jobs are, you know, an actor's dream, right? Lunch job where you could do, like, you could go to rehearsals in the afternoon. Or I had the theater, I had the theater company, which was actually thriving. Um, the Colony Theater Company, which still exists in New York City. And, uh, and so I had the theater company going. So, and the theater company, I, I surrounded my people, myself with people in AA, a lot of actors in AA. It's always kind of funny. Uh, it's a funny story. Um, a few years ago, I, was, I went to see this movie, and three of the actors in the movie, the three main actors in the movie, I have, I have a story and a personal experience with all three of them, right? One was actually in my theater company. And, uh, and, um, and so I'm leaving the meeting, and it's my 15-year-old my son and I. I'm leaving the movie. It's Christmas Day. My 15-year-old son and I are um, <laughs> leaving this movie, and I say to him, isn't it kind of interesting that I know three of those, those three people? And, and, uh, and he goes, wait, he didn't know one of the stories. I tell him the story. And, he, and then he, and I, I finish the story, and he looks at me and goes, what happened? <laughs> I think that's hysterical. What happened? Why, why are we here? Like, what are we doing here? If you know them. <laughs> oh, I think it's funny. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so... So I had a lot of these actors and friends and people around me, right? And But I, I surrounded myself with people in AA, but I wasn't really a part of AA because you saw how I worked the steps, so how was I going to stay sober? And I'm sure that you're not going to be surprised when I tell you that I drank again, right? Because that's how I worked the steps. And one of the women in my theater group was um, was a woman, Eliza Miller, who I just adored. And, um, and she was the woman that I never officially asked to be my sponsor, but if you asked me if I had a sponsor... I would think of her and just say yes, <laughs> you know. But I didn't really have a sponsor. I hadn't really asked her. You know, I just thought that was a little much. 
and uh, to actually get it that far committed into a relationship. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't, I didn't do that. And um, But she was around, and her husband, too. They were in AA. A lot of great AAs in that theater company. And uh, But I inevitably drank. And um, because... I, what I understand today about my powerlessness over alcohol is that the insanity returns and I drink. I used to think the insanity returned after I picked up the first drink, but that's not what happens. Insanity returns, my mind, st- the alcoholic shows up, my mind gets squirrely, and I need a drink because by this time now I'm almost two years into this recovery and I, recovery, dry drunkness, and I'm like, I'm just, I'm just, a, Screwed so tight, you know, I'm just, wow, my ear, I'm up to ear, you know, I can't, I, I'm, I'm just ready to explode, you know, and, um, and I, and all I know about myself is that I'm alcoholic. That's all I know, right? I don't, I haven't done any real investigation. I haven't really done the steps. I don't know anything, so I'm ready to explode. And, um, and I went out with some girls one night to the Upper West Side and, I mean, East Side, and, um, and we were, and we ran into this. We went into this bar, and there were all these gangsters in there, these wise guys. And uh, we walked in, and I went, "Oh, baby, I'm home," you know. And uh, and I had always had this fantasy about uh, the mafia, right? I don't know what, what, why, whatever. I'm just sick alcoholic. But I had all these fantasies about about the mafia. So I get, I there they are, right? And all, along with all these sports guys, mostly um, the Rangers, like hung out in this place, right? So um, so I'm like, "Oh, baby, I'm home." I had a job there within a week. You know, and um, and I, and that was that was the slip. See, right there was the slip. And uh, I, I actually don't even like that word slip. I don't, can't believe I just used it. But um, because it's not, there's no, slip implies something happens like it doesn't. It's a slow motion thing, really. And um, and so, next thing I know, I'm doing blow, and uh, and I'm like, well, you know, 1979, 70, we were not allowed to talk about drugs in AA. So okay. I won't. <laughs> uh, let me just uh, let me just do some, and I'm not drinking. So, uh, and I remember taking I remember taking my uh, my. By the way, today that's no longer true. Any mind altering chemical, you have had a slip, <laughs> or you have uh, you slip again. You have relapsed. Um, so uh, so anyway, I. Um, uh, I start doing that, but I'd go take my two-year my two-year um, sober chip at my main meeting, right? And uh, and I remember sitting up on this stage and hearing these people say things like, um, you know, oh, I spilled more than you drank, and oh, it's so sweet. I was kind of a mascot. It really, honestly, in 1980, there were not a lot of uh, a lot of or not. Yeah, there were not a lot of young people like me in AA. And even in New York City, there was there just wasn't. Like they, they all knew who we were, and uh, and and like the young people were more in their thirties, kind of thing. Like they weren't as young as me, and so um, I was considered a bit of a man. I felt like a mascot. I hated that, and that whole you know, oh, we I spilt more than you drank, you know, and it would just just make me crazy. I just want to explode on these people. So, um, but I never said anything. I was not bold enough to do that. I had not found my voice yet. I didn't find that until I got to Al-Anon way later. <laughs> but I, uh, but I, I hadn't found my voice, so I couldn't say anything. So all that was internalized, and I couldn't, I couldn't really say. But I remember sitting up on that stage, especially this one woman who said some sappy, stupid thing about me being young. And I just was like, yeah, I'll show you. And I went out that night and drank. And that's not her fault, but I mean, this is my head, you know, was going like this. I went out that night and I drank, and I went across to the guy I had two-stepped. 
across the street from on 79th and uh, 2nd Avenue there, uh, Profiles, and I uh, went over there and I said, uh, Tommy, uh, pour me Jack Daniels, and he said, no, what are you talking about? You know, and I said, just do it. And he uh, put two glasses down and we both went out. And, uh, and I didn't draw a sober breath for the next couple of uh, years, a uh, little short of two years. And, uh, and, then, um, and now I was in with the Mafia, and uh, um, I my quickly got this boyfriend who was a lieutenant in the Mafia, and, um, and that was crazy times. I mean, that's like bullets flying. And, you know, and, and then I lived with this woman who um, – and then I got a job upstairs from a bar that I was bartending in, and, uh, and um, I got an p- apartment upstairs with this woman who – uh, her boyfriend was in prison, and he um, he was the leader of the Westies at the time, which was a really rough group, and uh, <laughs> to say the least. And um, and those guys were crazy, crazy Irishmen, right? We were lucky to be Irish. She was Margaret Mary Fitzgerald. I'm Amy Colleton. We're both thoroughbred Irishmen, running you know guns for them, doing all sorts of stuff for them. It was crazy, and um, and we. Uh, and Margaret and I, 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 those two years are really kind of a blur. And, um, and then, um, I want to speed it up and talk more about my recovery, though. But uh, those, those two years were really a blur. And um, lots, of, lots, of, lots of drugs, lots of crazy stuff, bullets flying, lots of violence. Um, uh, my last time, my last big binge, I, I had my gallbladder taken out right towards the end. And... Um, the doctor came up to me and said, "Sweetheart, I just—I've uh, been inside there, and um, you have the insides of a 45-year-old chronic alcoholic. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop, or you're going to die real soon. You got some cirrhosis on that liver, and you need to stop." And uh, and so I, uh, you know, I didn't really care what he said. I mean, I remember that moment obviously. I can see his eyes now when I say that. But um, but I was really just waiting for my boyfriend to get my my. Um, my eight ball <laughs> to the, you know, my, the nurses were like, well, you're up my, you're up awfully quick. <laughs> you know, I was like walking up and down the hallways, snorting cocaine. You know, they had no idea what was going on. And, um, and, and, uh, meanwhile, I almost died. So, um, a, a little while later, I had a, my final run with my, that roommate and, uh, we got into a big fight. She beat the crap out of me. And on, um, somewhere about, somewhere in that first week of June, I came in, t- uh, I, we were coming back from, we were like the gang who couldn't shoot straight. Um, we, we were trying to go to like the Bahamas and we ended up in the Poconos and, and we were like, you know, and we had a stolen car and stolen credit cards, everything was stolen and we, uh, but somewhere up in this cabin up in the Poconos, we got into a fight, she beat me up, I mean to a pulp. When I came in that week, I was bruised all over myself. I was, I was, I was bruised, and it was hot out, so I was wearing like shorts, and I had all these bruises all over me, and I was just beat, beat up like to a pulp. And um, and I went to my parents' house. I was driving a stolen Jaguar, and uh, and I got to my parents' house, and I said, um, I think I'm done. And my father had just written me a letter. Um, kind of writing me off but saying, you know, that they wished me well or whatever. And, um, and I said, I think I'm done. And I went to that meeting and that woman, Eliza Miller, was there. And I'll never forget, she went to hug me and I flinched because I thought she was going to hit me, you know, because I didn't know, you know, that you were so loving. I didn't know that I was allowed to come back. I didn't know any of that. You know, I didn't know you'd care, you'd care so much. And um, I didn't know how aware you were of what a deadly disease this was and that I had just... If I was breathing, I had just dodged, dodged a serious bullet, 
So I came back into the rooms, and uh, and now um, and then my brother was a lo- around a lot in that group, but he had some nice friends, <laughs> and uh, but they all did like this young people's thing, and um, and I went to some of these young people conventions, and I started to grow, and like it, the young people's things, we, they would have these conventions around the Northeast that were like two or three hundred people. They weren't like big like big conferences, but and. Um, or they were conferences, not conventions. And uh, and um, and the first time I ever went, I remember them like you know they'd say uh, you know they well they still do this in young people's you know hi Amy love you Amy you know and I'd be like <laughs> you know and uh, and they'd hug a lot right and they and the hugging was like whoa you know do not come near me I will you know I still have that gun and um, and uh, I was like no you know and um, and so. Uh, but but I started to soften, and I started to listen to them, and I started to see see that there was some hope there, and this like little seed of hope, this little they talk about God, and I remember getting on my knees with the group and doing the third step with everybody, and I remember thinking, oh, I think I just felt something, and uh, and I think maybe I could do this. I don't know, maybe I can, and then. Then I went to a rehab up in, uh, I was sober, I don't know, a, while, a little while when I went up to a rehab in northern uh, New York and in Rochester. And there I met my first sponsor. And I met the first woman I ever trusted. And um, Jane said to me, oh, sweetheart, I'm going to love you until you can love yourself. And I said, okay. And my shoulders went down. And I don't know what happened, but I trusted her. And she taught me so much. And I admitted to her that I was dyslexic. So she had the girls... Uh, read the book to me. I'd go to her house and they'd read the book to me or they'd come to the rehab and they'd read the book to me. And I started to understand and, um, and I started to identify and I did, and I really got that I needed to be restored to sanity. And I got that my, um, you know, that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life was terribly unmanageable. And the only reason why I hadn't noticed was because all the enablers in my life were doing really good jobs. But right towards the end, the enablers sort of stopped doing their job. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, my life is unmanageable. And um, and then I got that I needed to be restored to sanity, and I'm not even sure had I ever been sane. And then I got that I needed to turn my life and my will over to uh, the care of a God in my understanding. And that God was really small. That God was little. And... Um, and I didn't want the God of my childhood Catholicism, and I wanted something different, and I didn't know what that was. And now I refer to it as the spirit of the universe, and I connect with that spirit all the time, always, right now, every second, always I feel connected to that spirit. And, um, and, and you know, I did a really thorough first, fourth step that first time. It was still a little bit about what they had done to me. You know, it was still, I was still a bit, I was, not a bit, I was absolute victim on my first fourth step. <laughs> But you know what? Um, that my sponsor sponsor did did my, took my first fifth step, and um, I thought that was kind of cool because she had a tracheotomy and she couldn't really tell anybody what I told her, and um, which was sick, sad but true. That's how my mind thought. And so I remember her like putting her little hand over her thing, and she went, "Kid, it's time to grow up." <laughs> hey, and uh, and but she was right. And I went home and I did different four steps, and um, and I got to the my part as uh, you know I got to my part and I saw that I'd stepped on the toes of so many and no wonder they retaliated and that it really was my behavior it was my insanity it was my inability to connect it was my emotional illiteracy I had no idea how to name and 
talk and be present with my feelings. I, all I could tell you was I was pissed off or I was happy. That was it. Anything in between, I didn't know. And I had to have a sheet of paper on my mirror, and I would look at that paper in the morning and the evening, and I'd say, I'd look for what feelings I may have had in the day. I really did not know how to identify my feelings. I, did, I was emotionally illiterate. And, um, and I began to get illiterate, and I began to be able to have feelings and talk and be a part of uh, relationships and a part of that fellowship and that connectedness I talked about earlier. I started to feel connected to a power greater than myself and to you. And, um, and I started to feel whole again, and I started to be able to be of service. And that was the biggest turn-on in the world for me. I mean, talk about getting high. The first time I ever felt like I really was on a 12-step call and I felt like my story had made a difference to another woman, and I saw that light go on in her eyes, like, Man, I am in. <laughs> I am in. And I love that. And that was the that was the high I chased after that. And then all those people that told me that I might have been, you know, they, 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 I got on a very strong soapbox about being a young person in AA. And I was like, you will not, I will not be run out of this room. I have earned my seat and I will stay here. And I am the future of Alcoholics Anonymous, so you better teach me right. Because if you want me to stay here and teach your children and their grandchildren and teach my children and my grandchildren, I better get this right now. So don't even think about pushing me out of this room again for my age. I won't stand for it. And that was, that was like the attitude I took at that point. And I just said, I'm here and I'm staying. <laughs> so I kind of had an attitude about it at first, but it worked for me and it kept me around. And I went on to, uh, to do a lot of, lot of service work and, um, a lot of internal work, and today I feel, you know, that, that power greater than myself is enormous. You know, I, I feel spiritually connected to to myself, uh, well, to, to all of you, really, and that's what keeps me, my alcoholism in a really ugly, crazy way has not shown up in a long time. I actually don't remember the last time my alcoholism showed up. Do you, honey? <laughs> I remember Mark and I have been married about two and a half years, and about a year into it, he's like, where's your alcoholic? <laughs> like, it hadn't shown up. Like, it doesn't, my alcoholism doesn't show up the way it used to. Used to. It used to show up a lot. You know, and especially in any time when I was doing something for the first time, I'd get all squirrely, in your face, be a little emotionally out there, you know. That doesn't happen so much anymore. But that took a lot of service, a lot of step work, a lot of meditation, I medit- I'm a meditator, a lot of that, you know, to get myself to a place where my alcoholic doesn't show up all that much. Um, but I know it's there. It's always lingering. And I, and if I only have a daily reprieve from this disease, and um, I really only have a daily reprieve. And unless I'm, sta- unless I'm giving it away, unless I'm participating in my own recovery, I am just as close to a drink as any of you. It doesn't, you know, I've, I'm grateful to say that I've managed to stay, I've stayed sober all this time. I did it with a lot of hard work. I'm always, I always wonder how people get up and say, I don't know how I got here. Really? <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that I needed to not be unconscious. I had lived an unconscious life before here, before then. And the 11th step tells me I need to have a conscious contact with the God of my understanding. And that conscious contact has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams today. And thank you for letting me share with you.